Today's sermon text is Philippians 1, 27 through 30, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with, sorry, I lost my place, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you. Uh, let us pray. King Jesus, Lord of all heaven and all of, all of earth, uh, we stand before you with grateful hearts this morning, saying thank you for the sacrament of baptism in which we can express our allegiance to you, that we're sure about following you, It's not a matter of that we're mature in our following of you, but sure. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who testifies to our own hearts that we truly are your children. And we thank you for the gift of the word through which we can hear your voice, we can experience you, we can know what you desire of us for us. And we thank you for the community of the saints, for, for believers being in our lives, overlapping their life with ours, through which we can experience you in the vistas of your wisdom, the vistas of your knowledge, the vistas of your love, the vistas of your comfort. So would you continue to make yourself at home with us today as we worship you in submission to your word. Amen. So once again, good morning. Uh, my name is Ron Surgeon. I'm one of the pastors here at Renewal Church. And we're continuing our series in the book of Philippians called To Live is Christ. So I want to take a few minutes to um, expound this text to you. Today's sermon title is Vantage Point. Vantage Point. And a vantage point is a way of viewing something. Um, from a particular position. And we want to view Philippians through Paul's vantage point this morning. Um, But before we start, I would like to say that all of you all who are baptized this morning, you are no longer the baptized. You're probably not even in here. (laughs) Um, So this is good for you all too. You're no longer the baptized You are now baptizers. Get that? 
You're no longer the baptized. You are baptizers from now on. That is your privilege. That is your responsibility in Christ. So you all are baptizers. Wonderful, huh? That's wonderful. Yeah, whether male or female, young or old, you're all baptizers. I'd like to tell you a dream that's going to kind of set the stage for our sermon today. And uh, I had this dream maybe two weeks ago. And in this dream, I saw this map, and it was a, a digital map. And it was a map uh, of churches against a Greenland, on a Greenland. But the churches were fires. And so there was a fire here and a fire there and a fire here and a fire there on one side of the map. And on the other side, the fires were like streams, like lava flowing out of a volcano. And I was like, what is this? And the Lord was saying to me, the fires on the right that were singular, that weren't in streams, they were the fires that refused to spread. And so just hold that picture and keep that in mind. And as we journey throughout the book of Philippians, may our um, sermon inform you of the interpretation of that dream for us. The city of Philippi um, was under the rule of the Romans. It was a Roman colony. The city was um, exempt from many taxes. The Roman colonies were known as little Romes. And so the people really pride themselves on having that status in the Roman world. The, that um, colony had a road through which much merchandise traveled, merchandise traveled. And so Paul would go to these major cities and establish churches so that the gospel could spread throughout all the uh, minor centers of the world from the major centers. And in the city of Philippi, let me tell you how the church started there. It's pretty amazing and it's quite simple. He goes into, he had this dream of a man in this area district called Macedonia. And this man was saying, come over here. And for so long, Paul and his team were trying to get to different regions and the doors were consistently shut for them. And what's wonderful about that is, you know, as they were traveling to different places, trying to get in to, to communicate the gospel, the doors were shut. Paul shuts down. He has a dream. And in this dream, this man from Macedonia was saying, come over here and help us. And so, this is Acts chapter 16, he takes it for granted that God is telling him and his team to go to Macedonia to communicate the gospel. Here's a thought. You can't guide a bicycle that's leaning against the wall. You can't guide a bicycle that is leaning against the wall. So Paul is journeying to these different regions. He's trying to get an entryway to communicate the gospel in these different cities. The doors are consistently shut for him. And he has a dream. God points in another direction. The text literally says that the Holy Spirit 
prohibited him and his team from going into these areas. And so this could just, this could actually help you in your decision making in life. You know, many of us, uh, we want God to guide us to do particular things, but we are afraid to take risk. And so we sit passively instead of stepping out and allowing ourselves to not get an entry into a particular job, to not get an entry in a particular school, to not get an entry in a relationship. It's just any of the things in life. You can't guide a bicycle that is leaning against the wall. And so... Paul goes into Macedonia and into the city of Philippi, and they assume that um, there would be some people gathering by the river. And this city did not have a huge Jewish population. And we know that because a group of women were sitting by the river and there was no synagogue present. And so he goes there, he sees these women uh, meeting, and he sits down and just begins to have a conversation with them. And God opened the heart of one woman. Her name was Lydia. And Lydia believed in the good news of Christ. And immediately, she and her entire household came to faith and were baptized. Paul cast out the demon from this woman traveling behind him, provoking him and his team. And because of that, he gets put in prison. He and a man named Silas. And while in prison... God caused the doors to open, the ground to shake, and the prison guard believes that they all escaped, all the prisoners escaped, and so he's about to commit suicide. And Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And the guy says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your constituency, and that guy believed, and his entire family believed, and immediately they too were baptized. That is the founding of the church in Philippi. That's some simple church planting, isn't it? Zero budget church planting. <laughs> and so um, Paul, he gets out of prison. He goes back and visits Lydia and all the brothers, and then he leaves. And so for Paul... Later, he writes back, and we see that there are overseers ruling over the church in Philippi. We see that there are now deacons present in the church in Philippi. And he writes to them in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, and he tells them that he wants to continue living because continuing living for him meant that more people would know about Jesus, new churches would be started, and the gospel would advance. And so Paul looks out upon these disciples that he's made, the new church that he saw formed in Europe, the first church in Europe, and he calls them his joy and his crown. He calls them his gold medal. And this is Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. And Paul talks like this quite often. He spoke like this in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. He used this same language for a church that he started in Greece. And he says to them, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. 
Listen to that. Paul said that to the church in Philippi. He's writing to the church in Greece. And he looks out upon them. Informed of his struggle to see them come into the kingdom. And he says, you are my glory. You are my joy. You are my crown. You are my gold medals. What would it take for us to look out upon a people and to communicate the same thing? And he writes like this in multiple letters, reflecting on his labor. He sees the, um, the church in Philippi comes into the kingdom and he writes to them in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. And he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or in absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in the faith. So he writes to them, informed of his labor for them. And he says, stand firm, church. Don't waver. And I know that many people are warring against you. And I'm referring back to the book of Thessalonians once again, because he says the same thing there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, he says to them, For now we live, church, if you are standing firm in the Lord. For now we truly live if you are standing firm in the Lord. And so we want to view this from Paul's vantage point. Paul has labored to see people come into the kingdom, brutally beating in the, beaten in the cause of it, placed in prison so his heart is aching for them. He sees them as his children. He sees them as his credentials. And he says, for now we truly live. If you are standing firm in the Lord. So we want to ask ourselves, what makes our lives truly count? What makes our lives truly count? If you look at this verse, for now we live, if you are standing firm in the Lord. Look at it like this. For now I live if blank. What makes your life count? Where do you see your value? Is it in personal ambitions? Financial gain? Relationships? Or is it in things that are eternal? For now we truly live if you are standing firm in the Lord. And so back to Philippians 1, Paul is writing to them and he says, stand firm, stick together, advance the gospel, strive side by side for it, spread the fire, don't be afraid, live like Jesus truly died for you. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now we look at that, it kind of sounds like Have a big, have a great, have a Bible-based morality. That's what it kind of sounds like when you hear he says, for now we live, um, not for now we live if you are standing firm in the Lord. Only let your man of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
But that's not what he's saying. When he says, only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, the word there is used for the way a person behaves when they're a citizen of a particular country. And so he's telling the Philippians, I know that you value your citizenship in this Roman city of Philippi, but your true citizenship is in heaven. Live like your passport says you were born there. Your true citizenship is in heaven. Live like your passport says you were born there while you're living in Rome, while you're living in Memphis. And Paul talks like this all the time. He said this to the Thessalonians. He said this to the church in Corinth. He said it to the church in Galatia, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Colossae. You're not mere human beings. You've been radically transformed by the king. Your life was broken, far from God. You turned away from him. But God sent his son into the world to live a life that you could not live, to die a death that you deserved. He rose again to new life to prove that he could take anyone that's broken and restore them back to God's design. You turned. You followed. He came inside of you. He rearranged your world. And now you're growing into God's perfect design. Live like that. And so Philip in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 listen to what he says to him and I'm just going to I'm just going to flow through a couple of verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 he says to them the church in Thessalonica in Greece finally then brothers we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing do so even more. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things is past, new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ bringing the world back to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. God making his appeal to um, through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And listen to what Paul says to the church there. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians four seventeen through 21. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and given themselves to sensuality, greedy practice, impurity of every kind. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Hear what he says to the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 5. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above what Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, 
Not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. You've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Live like your citizens of heaven, basically. Last text, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled lives, upright and godly in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession, zealous for good works. What kind of impression do those texts make upon your heart? You feel the weight of that? It's amazing. I want to make a statement in a second. That when we think about Paul saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, live as citizens of heaven, this is not a call to do the impossible. This is a call to explore the possibilities that you have once Christ has come into your world. This is not a call to do the impossible. I want to say that once again. This is a call to explore the possibilities that you have once Christ comes into your world. That you are now empowered to be all that Christ died for you to be. In the midst of shame, in the midst of weakness, in the midst of failures, there's resurrection life empowering you to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So let's live like our passport says the country we were born in is the country where God lives. Heaven. Now look in verse verse 29. And this is pretty amazing here because he says we've been given a gift that we usually don't give thanks for. And it says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I have and still, and see that I still have. So remember, this is Paul's vantage point. He's looking out upon his children. He sees that great persecution is happening among them. He wants them to stand firm. He doesn't want them to waver. And he tells them that the faith you have was given to you. 
was a gift from God. And the suffering that you are experiencing is a gift from God. Hang in there. So let's expound upon this. We have to remember Romans 8, that God causes all things to work together for good. We have to remember that we are to boast in our sufferings. Why? Because of the mode of transformation that it functions in and as. And that's what God is after. God is after us being radically transformed to be just like him, to be like his son. Hebrews tells us that Christ learned obedience. He learned how to submit and relate to his father through the things that he suffered. And so we're walking in the same footsteps behind him. And we think about what suffering produces is where our thanksgiving comes from and not simply in the issue itself. And so we see what it produces in Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And the hope doesn't put us to shame because of the love that God has poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Basically, he's saying that we give thanks to God for the things he allows us to go through because we know what it produces inside of us. And it gives us hope because we know that God truly loves us. He's for us. He's not against us. We don't understand it, but we know he's on our side. And God writes to us in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son that he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands. He said, strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of the joint, but rather heal. And strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one would see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is sexually immoral or impure like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. 
And he tells us earlier, you know, for the moment, discipline doesn't seem pleasant. It's painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So once again, we see it's the result of it. God is after our transformation. And so for that, we thank him. And as we look into chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He calls the church to be loving, to love one another, to be of one mind. Now, the church in Philippi was filled with prominent women who honored God, who advanced the gospel, who made disciples. And we see that in Philippi chapter 4. There are two women there who are bickering against one another. And Paul says, tell them to agree. Just tell them to agree. Especially Sintite. She labored side by side with me in the gospel. And so we have a church filled with a lot of women, prominent women, who are honoring God, advancing the gospel. And so, and I'm saying advancing the gospel. I don't mean the shuffling around of sheep or the disinfecting of saints. I mean seeing those who are lost, saved, and trained. And so Paul said that these women worked alongside him laboring for the kingdom of God. And we see these new ladies just appear in this book in chapter 4. And I want to ask, I'm asking myself as, as I see these ladies' names, where do they come from? And this is a hint of the spontaneous expansion of the church. Like when Paul founded the church, these ladies were not mentioned. Lydia, her family. The jailer, his family. He's gone. Paul is gone. Where did these new disciples come from? I'm supposing. But I suppose that they came from the individual efforts of those who are already believers. What does this say to us? What what am I after in in this in, in this statement? What do you think I'm after? I'm after the spontaneous expansion of the gospel through the lives of everyday Christians. You all. That through your individual efforts, through your collaborating side by side with each other, that you too could see new people come into the kingdom. Women, 
Do you hear me? Women, do you hear me? This church was filled with prominent women who honored God, who advanced the gospel. And they did what a lot of things, you know, what a, we see what happens when a lot of women get together. But it's okay. We still can advance the kingdom. But I want you to be encouraged by this. And I want to ask you, have you allowed your gender to restrict you and obstruct you from seeing the gospel advance in your life, through your lives? Women. This church started with a lot of women. The kingdom needs you. Women. Have you ever taken note of Romans 16? At the end of Romans 16... I'm just going to end in a second. Romans 16, it has Paul lists women after women after women who caused the church to strengthen, hosted churches in their homes, labored with the apostles, just time and time again. Listed in a long line of other um, prominent men. We need those women today. We need you like that today. God needs you. active for the advancement of the kingdom in your spheres of influence today. And so I just want to end with a couple of questions and one statement. I want us to draw a line in the sand today and refuse to be the fire that won't spread. To draw a line in the sand and to get over it. And to refuse to be the fire that won't spread. The individual fires, the collective fire. To refuse to be that today. Another question. Well, first question. Are there others among you who are delaying baptism today? And if so, why? And we see how the church was started there with Lydia and her household, the Philippian jailer, his household, believing in Jesus, immediately baptized. That was a standard of the New Testament, immediate baptism. Are there others among you delaying, obeying Jesus in baptism today? And if so, why? Come talk with us.
question I said before, I want to state it again. Women, have you allowed your gender to obstruct your ministry of advancing the gospel? And this is not just for older women. This is for younger women too, for young girls. For you guys. Your participation in the kingdom is critical. You all, you younger ones, critical. I could just go on, but I'm not. I was um, doing a training at this church called Holy Temple um, a couple weeks ago. I just got back from Mexico, so I'm kind of sick today. You can't tell, but I am. I can tell. Uh, it, was, it was a rough morning coming here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I'm at this training. This will be, this will be brief, but I'm at this training, and the path, I'm, I'm doing the training, and their adults are here. I'm training the adults here, and there are youth over here, like 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. They're on this side. And so I'm here with the adults. I got my whiteboard here. And the pastor says, he goes down there with them. He says, can you see what he's doing over on this side? And they said, no, we can't see what he's doing. He said, I know you can't because I'm down here with you and I can't see what he's doing. And he's like, get up, go down, go down there, go there and um, pay attention. So they get up, they're walking over there like this. And the kid sits down and the other kids sit down beside him. And I just stopped the train, and I looked at them, and I pointed at them. I said, I'm not pointing at you, Kathy. <laughs> I was like, I said, how old are you? I said, 16. So I want to tell you something. I said, I was in India last January 2015. And I said, I was in a room with a lot of grown men, and there were some younger guys there around your age. And I said, they stood up and they gave testimony of the things that God has accomplished in their lives. And don't you know that one of the guys, he was 15 years old, he had been training with an older man and he started 23 groups. So these are people who had professed faith in Christ, meeting together. Some of them have been baptized, some have not. They had not yet committed together to be a church. But it was 23 of them through a 16-year-old. And I said, there was another, um, a brother and a sister. One was 17, one was 23. And they started over 20 churches, led their family and friends to faith in Christ and baptized them. And I said, these are young people. I said, your participation is critical. Critical. I said, God wants to use you. You could blow this thing out of proportion. After that, they were like, they wanted to read. They learned how to share the gospel. We did a, we practiced baptism. They baptizing me. <laughs> Taking them out into the community to share. Like, guys, you can take this to the next level. I'm just trying to tell you. So what will you give up to see a group of people become your joy and your crown? What will you give up 
to see a group of people become your joy and your crown. That you can look on at the day of the Lord's return, whether he comes to get us while we're still alive or we go to see him first. What will you give up to see a group of people who were once dead but now alive in him? What will you do? What were you willing to sacrifice so that you can say, Jesus, here's my joy and crown that I present to you. Lord, I thank you for your time, for bringing us together. Lord, I thank you for just the weight of truth, the weight of your word, and the power of your spirit. I thank you that you are alive and present in us and through us, and that you want to accomplish in and through our lives more than we can dream of. And that the God of the, the book of Acts is the same God today. It's you. The Holy Spirit of the book of Acts is the same Holy Spirit today. It's you. And the same Lord who walked with the 12 and many others who started a movement even before his, his death and resurrection. And the text tells us, God, that your disciples baptized more than John. And we see that John had all of Judea and all around the region of Jordan come out to him. And you baptized way more than he did through your men. Lord, would you just usher a movement like that through us today? Would you just begin that again today, Lord? Oh, Lord, just come. Let your spirit just fall on us. Fill us, Lord. And God, we, uh, we're coming today to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. Uh, we come into the table where you are the host and we're the guests. And so we um, eat of this bread today and we drink of this cup as the receptors of your goodness today, Lord. We come with nothing to give but with open hands to receive. Remembering the brokenness of your body, the shedding of your blood, that we may have newness, that we may have forgiveness, and that we may have each other. We love you. We appreciate you. Amen.